The book of Genesis chapter 41, chapter 41, verse 38. At 2 o'clock this afternoon, um, Homeland Security Director Tom Ridge is going to be doing a news conference talking about what's going on in Baghdad, but also about some very serious, um, I guess, alert warnings that uh, Al-Qaeda is targeting some several more major buildings in New York, major, major places of business, and, and this is um, serious enough that he's having a, you know, a news conference to talk about it. And it kind of takes some of the level of what I wanted to talk about this morning and it erases it and says there's a much more serious level to what we're going to discuss. I wanted to begin by asking how much time you would say you spend stressing about the unknowns. I spend a lot of time doing that. We were just yesterday up on our property over here and trying to figure out what we're going to need to do, where the house needs to lay, and we're trying to map it out, get a footprint. But if we go too low on the property, then we're too far away from the electric box and we'll be charged $22 a linear foot for about 400 feet, which is a lot of money, but I don't have that kind of money. And so we're stressed about that. But if we go too low, we go into the septic drain field. We can't have that. That could be really messy. And so if we go too far to the left, and it's, it just, I was sitting there going, I don't know what to do, what the best way, and we've got woods up there that need to be burned, but when they get burned, they're going to destroy trees around them, and I don't, and I'm, I'm just, all this stuff's going through my mind. And Niccolo, who many of you know, our, our, our builder, he's standing there, and, we're, and Niccolo are going, and I are going at it, we're talking about it, and Cheryl's sitting on a log over there, and she goes, I have an idea, why don't we just pray about it? <laughs> Brothers, don't you hate when your wives go spiritual on you? <laughs> I looked at her and I said, okay, yeah, we'll pray about it. But then I went right back to Niccolo. But man, if we're too far down this line, and she goes, no, I mean now. <laughs> Who's wearing the pants in this family? Who's in charge here? So we began to pray. Um, and I'll tell you what, if ever you have opportunity to have a Christian contractor, get one. What a blessing it is to stand on that property and, and pray with Niccolo and, and, and have him pray. And I was blessed in the stress eased greatly. But stress about stuff like that is pretty lame when you think about Al-Qaeda. And when you consider the world in which we live where we as Americans very quickly and very easily relax back into our lifestyle. September 11th is not that long ago. We don't think about it from day to day. For the weeks following, every day, that's what we thought about. Everybody woke to thinking about September 11th. And, and now we just kind of moved on. And I'm stressed out about how far I need to lay electric line. It's pretty sad. There's a great value to reading and studying the Bible and looking at the lives of people contained therein. Lives like Joseph's. Joseph was a man of amazing faith. But not just faith, faith, he, he had an overcoming faith. He had the kind of faith that I want. When I look at Joseph's life, that's the faith I want. Not necessarily the life, but I want his faith. You see, his life bore out his faith. A quick review, we've seen so far that Joseph was raised as his dad's favorite son, which is something I think he deserved, but then he was reviled and ultimately retailed by his ten older brothers. Something that he did not deserve. But then he went to Egypt and he rose in prominence, still a slave, 
but highly favored in the house of the Egyptian Potiphar. Again, a position that he earned, he deserved, he worked his way up. But in that house he resists the temptress, Mrs. P, only to be tossed into prison and left there to rot. But he rises again. Even in prison, this man Joseph rises to the top. We're told in chapters 40 and 41 of Genesis that the prison, the chief jailer put him in charge of all the other prisoners because there was something about Joseph. By the way, a side note, the prison that Joseph was in was overseen by the captain of the guard who was Potiphar. See, Potiphar, when he threw Joseph into prison, put him in a place that he was in charge of. Which kind of lends itself to make me think that maybe Potiphar really didn't believe his wife, but he had to do something. So he stuck Joseph in, in his house to be under guard, in his prison. And I imagine words were probably spoken to the chief jailer about, keep an eye on this guy because he's a man of integrity. But he has to be here because people will question mine. Good guy, Potiphar. But after he's in there a while, in fact, years, eight years roughly, Joseph meets two guys, a couple of interesting inmates, a cupbearer and a baker. And he's caring for these men, and he comes up one morning and sees the cupbearer and the baker, and they're depressed, they're sad, they're in prison. Hello? Of course you'd be sad and depressed in prison, but uncharacteristically so, and so Joseph says, what's the matter? And they say, oh, we, we both last night had dreams. And we have no one to interpret the dreams. And Joseph said, well, don't all interpretations belong to the Lord? Tell me. So the cupbearer describes this dream about him reaching up and, and grabbing some plump, plump grapes and putting them in a cup and giving it to Pharaoh off of three vines. And, and as the story unfolds, it turns out Joseph interprets it and he says, hey, this is good news. Three days from now, you're going to be lifted back up to your position as cupbearer. You will again serve the cup of wine to Pharaoh. Well, the baker says, oh, that's good, that's good. I had a dream too. And there were three baskets of bread up on my head and, and, and they had bread in them and the topmost basket had all kinds of good breads for the Pharaoh, but the birds, the birds were attacking and eating all the bread out of my basket. What does this mean? And Joseph says, well, three days from now, Pharaoh's going to lift up your head and hang you on a tree and you're going to die. Well, what Joseph predicted happened precisely. And in Genesis chapter 40, verse 14, Joseph said to the cupbearer, after interpreting the dream, he said, Only keep me in mind when it goes well with you. And please, do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. Do me a favor. Don't forget me here. Remember me. Put in a good word for me. But Genesis 40.23 tells us the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Joseph, at this point in his life, remains in prison two more years. Oh, only two years? Well, in biblical times, that's not very long, is it? Hey, it's prison. How'd you like to be in prison two years? So Joseph stays there, not having any idea what's happening. If he's remembered, if he's forgotten, if his father in his father's house remembers or has forgotten him, he is sitting there in prison, lost, alone, dejected, forsaken, and faithful. I would love to have a faith like Joseph. Ultimately, Pharaoh has some disturbing dreams about cows and corn, and you can read about those in chapters 40 and 41. Very odd dreams. And Joseph is called up because no one else can predict those dreams. I, I told him, this is funny, on Wednesday night we talked about this, 
in Egyptian times in ancient Egypt there was a god whose name was Thoth T-H-O-T and the god Thoth was a god of interpretation and yet none of the Egyptian religious guys could bring the the interpretation to Pharaoh they were pretty thoughtless the whole thing even with their gods and all of their deities nobody could figure out what Pharaoh's dream was and then the cupbearer went oh (laughs) wait a minute you know what (laughs) silly me two years ago when I was in prison there was a guy there who interpreted my dreams told me exactly what would happen to me and the baker and what he said came true it did happen and so Pharaoh says bring him in and he calls Joseph in and Joseph ultimately is called up to rule he interprets Pharaoh's dreams correctly seven cows fat cows eaten up by seven lean cows and then seven plump juicy ears of corn that are swallowed up by seven withered ears of corn well, these dreams Joseph told Pharaoh mean that a famine's coming but before the famine great abundance seven years Egypt will have massive abundance like you haven't seen before but you've got to store up because it will be followed by seven years of severe, severe famine. Well, that's where we pick up this morning. Genesis chapter 41 and verse 38. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this? In whom is a divine spirit? Literally, in whom is God's spirit? So Joseph said to Pharaoh, Since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in fine garments of linen and put the gold necklace around his neck. Verse 43, he had him ride in his second chariot and they proclaimed before him, bow the knee. And we saw on Wednesday night. Go back and look at these couple of chapters. They are packed full of parallels to Jesus. Amazing parallels. This is just one. Bow the knee because we know at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. And he set him over the land of Egypt. And moreover, Pharaoh had said to Joseph, though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one shall raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh named Joseph Zephina Pania, and he gave him Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, as his wife. And Joseph went forth over the land of Egypt. Now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, 30 years old when he started his so-called ministry, just like Jesus was 30 when he started his public ministry. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. And during the seven years of plenty, the land brought forth abundantly. So he gathered all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and placed the food into the cities. He placed in every city the food from its own surrounding fields. Thus Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he stopped measuring it, for it was beyond measure. Verse 50, Now before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my trouble in all my father's household. And the second he named Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Let's pray just for a moment. Father, I pray that you will reveal again your word to us this morning and that you will uh, touch our hearts and our minds and challenge us, Lord. And Father, those who need to be comforted, comfort. 
And those who need to be moved from the place in which they are currently standing, move them. Do in us, Father, as you see fit. You know our hearts better than we know our own hearts. Holy Spirit, be our guide and teacher today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now remember, Joseph dreamed he would be in this position. As a boy of 17 years old, he had a dream about people, his family, bowing down before him. He dreamed he would be here. But it took 13 years of his life to get to that point. And not just 13 years that passed by quickly. 13 hard, painful, difficult, struggling years. And Joseph at the end of that time has a greater faith than he had when he started. And his faith will be shown to be greater still. And I look at Joseph's life and I say, how did you do it? How did you do it, Joseph? I stress out about the little things. I worry about the day-to-day. How did you get through Potiphar's house and prison to end up in the palace? Joseph knew the single greatest secret to overcoming. And if you take notes, if you're a note taker, which I'd encourage you to do, even if you don't take the notes home, by the way, the fact that you write and see it and hear it and read it all at the same time, it will get in you better. So if you're a note taker, you might want to jot down two simple words. Two words that Joseph knew he understood. Faith matters. Faith matters. It makes all the difference in the world. And you might say, well, duh. Of course it does. And I would put right back to you, does it? Does faith make a difference in your life? Does faith change what you're doing, how you're thinking, where you're headed? Does faith matter? John, uh, 1 John 5.4 John wrote, Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Faith. Our faith. It's the victory that overcomes the world. Now I'm sure you've heard the phrase, Everyone believes in something. I believe I'll have another beer. That's the way the world looks at faith. It's trite. It's wishful thinking. It's blind. It's a leap. The world diminishes faith. But the word of God distinguishes faith. Lift faith up. God says, that's the language I want you to speak. I want you to be people of faith. We've talked about this before. It's why we live on this planet. It's why God doesn't just pull us right out the moment we believe in Him. Because He wants us to move beyond belief into faith. Ephesians 2.8 tells us, By grace you have been saved through faith. Through faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And Hebrews 11.6, the writer goes on and says, Without faith, listen, without faith it is impossible to please God. can't do it. You cannot please the Father without faith. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And in Hebrews 11.22, tells us by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. You see, from the cradle to the grave, Joseph was a man of faith, a man of great faith. It got him through family troubles. Maybe you have family troubles you need some help with today. They got Joseph through false accusations. Maybe someone's lying about you. Got Joseph through being forsaken and forgotten. And I am sure that somebody here this morning feels like nobody knows. Like they're completely forgotten. Like the Lord isn't even considering their life right now. Joseph felt that way. Joseph went through it. 
Joseph even had to go through a massive worldwide famine, but clearly for Joseph, faith matters. How'd you like to have that kind of faith? Wouldn't it be great every day of your life to walk step by step just knowing God's going to do what God said He'd do? And I don't have to worry about a thing. Like a child sitting in the back seat of a car while Dad is driving down the freeway, the child has no clue, no idea where we're going, just that Dad says we'll get there. Okay. Where's my game boy? Hey, that's a great trust. My children are starting to lose faith in their father. Dad, you missed that turn. Dad, where are we going? Are you sure you know the way, Dad? Look, I've been driving for like how many years now? I know where I'm going. Do we believe that God knows where He's going? That He knows what He's doing? There is a faith, folks, that overcomes anything, anything that Satan or the world can throw at you. Anything. My question for you this morning is, do you want it? Do you truly want that kind of faith? Well, as usual, if you're taking notes, there are some things you're going to want to jot down. Not just that faith matters, but several points here about a Joseph faith. Because, folks, a Joseph faith does not happen by default. It will not happen by showing up here once a week on Sundays. Do you understand that? Coming to church does not grow your faith. It may help. It may point you in the right direction. It may give you some things to think about. But your faith is not going to grow beyond a certain point if all you do is show up. Here are some things to write down. Number one, faith propagates faithfulness. Faith propagates faithfulness. Do you believe that Joseph believed in God? I mean, just raise your hand. Do you believe that Joseph believed in God? Okay. Pretty much all of you. How do you know? How do you have any idea that he truly believed in God? What's the proof of the pudding? How, how can we be sure? There's a simple answer to that. We see his faith. We see his faith in his faithfulness. Joseph was faithful to his father. He was faithful to his master Potiphar. He was faithful to the chief jailer. He was faithful to Pharaoh. And he will be faithful, as we'll see later on, to his family. Joseph is a man of faithfulness. And faithfulness is propagated by faith. We know he has faith because of how it affected his behavior and what he did. Literally, folks, his work. His work. Gang, just believing in God is not enough. It's not enough. James 2.19 in the NCP version says, You believe in God, well, goody for you. So do the demons while their knees are knocking. Now, that's the new Cropper paraphrase. You can pick that up. We'll have that printed after a while. Believe in God is not enough. Believing in God. Believing in God is not enough. I love what, what Beth Moore says about this. And she's actually, I think our, our ladies are doing a Bible study where she is going to go into this in the fall. Beth Moore says, it's not just, do you believe in God? It's, do you believe God? Do you believe Him? If we believe Him, it makes all the difference. If we believe Him, it changes us, it moves us, it takes us to new places. And a faithful faith, folks, is, is one that takes God at His word. Jesus said these words, Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Did you hear that? This is a verse that should set all Christians back on their heels. This should make us a bit nervous. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. 
but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He goes on, makes it a little more challenging. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. You may have used my name all over the place. You may be using my name right now. Lord, Lord, but I had no relationship with you. And he says, depart from me all who practice lawlessness. This quote, folks, should unnerve us. Make us uncomfortable. Stress us just a bit. And I think it's Jesus' point. He wants us to be set back on our heels just long enough to ask and answer this question. Do I believe in God or do I believe God? Do I truly believe Him? Am I just saying, Lord, Lord? Or am I living, Lord, Lord? What's the difference? Flip in your Bibles to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, in a passage that the church has argued about for 2,000 years. By the way, if I may just say, I don't believe God gave us His word to argue about. He gave us His word to read and believe. But we're human, and so we do it. James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. James 2.14. We've read this before. But it's something to be familiar with. James says, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? And then James asks a question. Can that faith save him? Now you can't see it in the English, but in the Greek, that question anticipates a negative response. Can that kind of faith save someone? Someone who says he has faith, but he has no works. He goes on and says, If a brother or sister, for example, is without clothing or in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Now what he's doing is giving a two-verse parable here. An example. He's saying, let me show you what I mean by this faith versus works thing. If you go up to a friend and go, Man, you look hungry and cold and go be filled. Have a great day. Feast. Get dressed. See you later. What is that? It's just sentiment. That's all it is. It's sentimental. It's not instrumental. It's saying something. It's feeling something. It's like that scene in Meet the Parents. One of my all-time favorite movies. If you haven't seen it, you might want to check that one out. But in Meet the Parents, there's a scene where the ex-fiancé of the main star of the girl is standing there and he says, Yeah, you know, you know, that's great that you're, he's talking to the other guy who's a male nurse, that's great that you're a nurse, you know, I, I, that you're able to give something back. You know, I actually, um, just the other day I, I saw a little, a little uh, collie, a little lassie dog with kind of a little, you know, a little gimp leg and I, I wish I could have done something for him. I, I felt really bad, you know. <laughs> Sentiment. We feel that kind of stuff all the time. Oh, oh, look at the dogs limping. Oh, look at that person. Oh, isn't that a shame? Oh, I feel really bad about that. But if you do nothing, it's just sentiment. Faith, if it does nothing, is nothing itself. It's worthless. Another way to put it is workless faith is worthless faith. Look at verse 17. James goes on and says, Even so, faith that has no works is dead. It's dead. Being by itself. Now James is not here making a case or an argument for works over faith, as some believe. He is arguing against sentimental, empty-headed, that's-just-the-way-I-was-raised cultural faith. 
The church has taken this and made it a theological issue. It was not a theological issue for James. He was just saying, hey, listen, your faith needs to be active. Your faith will have fruits. It will be visible. Faith propagates faithfulness. If it doesn't, it's not faith. If there's no activity in your life because of your belief in God, you don't believe in God. Does that make sense? John Walvoord in the Bible Knowledge Commentary writes that workless faith is worthless faith. It's unproductive. It's sterile. It's barren. It's dead. Greek, or, sorry, great claims may be made about a corpse that is supposed to have come to life. But if it does not move, if there are no vital signs, no heartbeat, no perceptible pulse, it's still dead. The false claims are silenced by the evidence. Now, let's say next Sunday, I say, show up here, Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, we're going to do something a little different. We're not going to do the normal worship and Bible study. We're going to have a barn raising. And you walk in, and there's a corpse lying flat on a table up here. We're going to have a barn raising. I mean, you got people showing up with hammers and nails going, where's the barn raising? And I go, right here, we're going to raise this guy from the dead. This is going to be great. And for the next hour and a half, I jump and dance and, and sing and I pray and I just, you know, pouring out sweat, trying to make this thing happen and nothing happens. The guy's still dead. You guys would look at me and say, Rick's got no power at all. However, if I looked at the guy and said, Barney, rise. And he <sighs> took a deep breath and sat up and began to move. You'd know there was something going on. There's something Rick's got. Now, I've never raised anybody from the dead, so please don't come to me if, if you're looking for that kind of help. But folks, faith propagates faithfulness. Action, results, you can see it. It's tangible. And that's what James is teaching. He's not talking about whether it's personal faith or personal works that saves us. He's asking the tough question. Is your faith alive or is your faith dead? Does your faith have a pulse, a heartbeat, Something perceptible so that when people see you living your life, they know, man, this guy's got faith. Or not. By the way, when Pharaoh asked Joseph for help, I want you to hear what he said. Look at Genesis 41, verse 15. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Genesis 41, 15, I have had a dream, but no one can interpret it. And I have heard said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph then answered Pharaoh, saying, It's not in me. It is not in me. As I asked Wednesday night, does anybody ever feel that way? <laughs> it's not in me. I don't have it in me. Even to get through the day. Joseph says it's not in me, but God will give Pharaoh a favorable or peaceful answer. And then Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? Folks, just a, a quick side note on this faith issue. When you don't feel like it's in you, remember that God's spirit is. That faith is not trusting in your own power to get through the day or the week or the year. Faith is not leaning on your own strength. Faith is knowing that even though it's not in you, His Spirit is in you. And that leads to an overcomer's faith. Speaking of remembering, Genesis 41 verses 50 through 52. Let's go back there now. In these three short verses, we gain some tremendous insight about Joseph's faith. Into what faithful living did in Joseph and what it does in us. Verse 50. 
Now before the year of famine came, two sons were born, born to Joseph, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore to him. And Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. He names his firstborn son Manasseh. Manasseh means forgetful. Now this is one to remember, this is important. <laughs> Number two, faithfulness. Not only does faith propagate faithfulness, but faithfulness prompts forgetfulness. The more faithful you are, the more forgetful you become. Joseph discovers this. Now think again about Joseph's life. I wonder how many times he felt forgotten. Or at least how many times he had the right to feel forgotten. As he's being carted off by the Ishmaelites wondering, well, is dad going to come after me? Is he going to get some of his servants to come find me, to rescue me? And he lands in the house of Potiphar and no one's come. And so he starts to serve, but no one's coming. Did Joseph feel forgotten as he was thrown into prison for eight years? And then forgotten as the cupbearer leaves, rescued, taken out of prison, and he stays there for two more years. Did Joseph feel forgotten? Joseph had every right in his life to name his firstborn son Manasseh because everybody forgets me. Bitterness. But Joseph names his son Manasseh out of thankfulness because God has made me forget all the bad things that have happened to me. This is a huge truth. Joseph says, my trouble, my family pain, my bitterness, it's all gone. I've forgotten about it. Why, Joseph? Because God, God has been faithful. His faithfulness prompted his forgetfulness. And I'll tell you, the more your faith grows, the more your memory goes. It's kind of a believer's, you know, disease. It just kind of goes away. But who wants to remember that stuff? I mean, let me ask you do, you, do you enjoy clinging to the bitter stuff of the past? Do you like hanging on to the problems of your childhood? Oh, it was so hard. Okay, it was. But faithfulness will prompt forgetfulness. Trusting in the Lord, looking to Him, toward Him, makes that stuff diminish and diminish and diminish. And you know what? That's a key because the more it diminishes, the more the joy fills your heart. The more God has room to stretch out and move and be in you. And you may say, Rick, I've tried to forget the past, but it just sits there like this great heavy weight. So here's what you do. Here's how to do it. Stop trying to forget. Stop trying to forget your past. You know, the more you try to forget your past, the more you're thinking about trying to forget your past, the more your past just sits there. It's very frustrating. It's a big circular thing. Stop trying to forget your past and start remembering. Remember where God has led you. Whether it's been a short time or a long period of time, remember where God has led you. Psalm 77, verse 11. The psalmist in struggling, he's been up all night, he's been praying, he hasn't heard a word, he doesn't know what to do, he's, he's depressed, he's forsaken, and he says, Psalm 77, 11, I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and I will muse on your deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your strength among the peoples. You have by your power redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. Remember where God has led you, but even greater than that, listen to this, remember where God is leading you. Consider where He's taking you. 
I want to forget the things of the past. Great. Then focus on the future. Philippians 3.13. Paul says, Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Like I said, when I'm focused on the bad stuff, guess what? I'm thinking about the bad stuff. But when I'm focused on Jesus, I'm thinking about where I'm headed. And that's a good thing. And that will erase the bad stuff. Suddenly when I think about Jesus in light of all eternity and where I'm headed, the stuff that's happening to me in my life, it just doesn't seem like that big a deal. Because it's such a short period of time by comparison. Joseph is so focused on the Lord that his memory is fading and he names his firstborn son Manasseh forgetful. Well, then he comes along and names his secondborn son Ephraim. For he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. He named his second son Fruit Boy. Which we wouldn't name our kids now. Because in our culture it would mean a completely different thing. But for Joseph, Fruitful, Ephraim... My son, gang number three in your notes, forgetfulness produces fruitfulness. I'll be right back. Faith propagates faithfulness. Faithfulness prompts forgetfulness. Forgetfulness produces fruitfulness. The more forgetful you are, check this out, the more fruitful you become. Joseph says, and it's amazing, in, in verse 52, that God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. And notice the order of Manasseh and Ephraim's names. Forgetfulness comes before fruitfulness because the more you forget, the more fruitful you are. And I'll put it this way, you will never learn to for, you will never learn to be fruitful until you learn to be forgetful. Fruitful people, people whose faith is alive and active and growing, don't have time for the stuff of the past and have forgotten like Joseph has forgotten. There is a divine order in the names of these two boys. I want to read you one more verse here. John chapter 15 in verse, four, in verse 4, Jesus says the following words. He says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch, and dries up, and they gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. He says, now listen, key here. If you abide in me, and my word, my word abides in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. But listen, my Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove, prove to be my disciples. I don't know how to express this any other way, but to say that Jesus is saying, if you don't bear fruit, you have no faith. The fruit you bear in your life, the works that you do, show your faith. It is a natural thing. You're not working to prove your faith. The works flow naturally from the faith and forgetfulness produces fruitfulness. Jesus says the proof is in the fruit. It's in the things that you're doing. How do I know if, if I'm walking with faith? It's going to show up. How do I know in my life right now if I'm not? 
if, if I've just got kind of a kindergarten faith? How, how do I know if that's where I'm living? Because there isn't much fruit. And this standard, each one of us personally, individually, can apply to our lives and look and say, hey, where's the fruit? Is there fruit? Is there not fruit? If there's not, then I'm not saying this. I'm asking you to say this to yourself. Where's my faith? Do I really believe God or do I just believe in God? Because there's a vast gulf between the two. So faith propagates faithfulness, which in turn prompts forgetfulness and then produces fruitfulness. But here's the greatest and last thing to know, folks. The faithful prevail in fulfillment. Now, I don't know if your week has been like mine, full of stressing about the unknowns. I spent a lot of time this week doing that. I was stressed about getting a message done for this morning because I spent two days at a seminar. And I was stressed about what's happening with, you know, Niccolo calls yesterday and says, hey, can you meet us at the property? And I'm working on my message going, no, I can't meet you at the property. Okay, we'll meet you at the property. i got to get home. And, you know, I get home and, can't shut up. Dad's being spiritual. You know, and, and it's just, <laughs> the week was like this. And then again, to come this morning and, and hear about the struggles in Baghdad with Christians there and, like, how ridiculous am I? What a foolish man. I don't know what your life is like right now. I don't know if you're worrying about things you can't control. Maybe you're just cruising along, faithfully looking for the Lord to come. But if you're like most people, we need to know where we're going. And we need to believe that God is going to get us there. Last verse, Philippians 3.20, Paul said, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself, our citizenship. It's in heaven. Joseph had the ability to look forward in faithfulness, to act, to believe God. And that's the challenge for us, to move in that same direction. That's where we're headed, our citizenship in heaven. Gang, this is not rocket science. You and I have a decision to make in our lives. Do we want a faith like Joseph's or not? And I think anybody here would say, yeah, I, I want to believe like Joseph believes. I want to have that kind of faith. Well, there's no shortcut. It doesn't just happen because you want it to. It's not an eventual thing. It's not, I'll be more faithful when I get out of school. Or I'll be more faithful when my job eases up. Or I'll, I'll get around to spiritual things when I've got time this summer. Actually, when I get back on schedule this fall, that, that's when it'll be good for me. Or when things settle down this winter. That'll, that's perfect. Or when I've got more energy in the spring. And we put off, and we put off, and we put off opportunity to develop a faithful life. All the while saying, man, I wish I wasn't so stressed out. Man, I wish life wasn't so hard. Man, I wish I could believe like that Joseph guy. And you can. You can. Joseph wasn't Jesus. Joseph was just a guy. And he had an amazing faith. Listen to me as your pastor. I'm almost done here. I, I just, I've got to say this. A lot of times sermons can be used as instruments of involvement. I'm going to make people feel just guilty enough so they'll sign up for ministries. And that's not what's going on here. I don't work on a commission basis. I actually work for the Great Commission. Where Jesus said, make disciples. He didn't say make converts. 
He didn't say make casual Christians. He didn't say make people come to your church. He said make disciples. And a disciple is someone who is following after Jesus in every aspect of their lives. That's what this church is about. That's what I pray for in my life and I pray for it in yours. But I recognize like Joseph that it's not in me. It is simply not in me to produce faithfulness in you. That's your choice. That's yours to decide. But I want to challenge you this morning not to walk out of here and slip back into the casual living. But to truly consider whether or not you believe God.